Good afternoon once again, congregation here at Sardis. Welcome to any guests or visitors with us this afternoon and those that are watching on live feed. We pray that our worship may be to the glory and to the honor of our Lord. This one note I have to pass on is in our liturgy, the last song that we are singing, Psalm 117, will be sung as in our Psalter hymnal. With that, we welcome Pastor Phil to our pulpit again. All right, you please rise for the uh, call to worship, which comes from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then the psalmist goes on to say, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, where does our help come from? And let's say together, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from his Son and our Savior, the reigning King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Uh, hymn 78 is the song that we're going to sing. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
All right, we have an opportunity this afternoon once again to uh, consider a word from the Lord. And so um, before we do that, um, let's come uh, to the Lord in a, a brief prayer, asking for his help, for understanding and embracing the truths that he gives us in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we think of the words of the Apostle Paul, who in speaking before the church said, I was in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that our faith here might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Heavenly Father, we, we consider those words because they are important words for us, reminding us that the power and the applicability of the gospel does not rest in the oratory skills of the presenter. It does not rest in his abilities or cogent argumentation. But the power of the gospel comes to us through the demonstration and illumination and energy of your spirit. So Father, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would give me the ability to preach once again, second time this day. You give me the ability to speak clearly, accurately, in an applicable way. And Father, we pray above all, whatever weakness comes forth from this pulpit here this afternoon, that you would transcend that and that you would bless us and that you would use the word in our lives to, in this case, and considering what we're looking at this afternoon, grant, O oh Lord, an appreciation for and a devotion to the rest and the refreshing that you offer us on the Sabbath, this day, Sunday, your day, the Lord's day. So God grant us that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, um, okay, so I'm going to read from two passages here, from Exodus chapter 20, and then also from Matthew chapter 12. We'll read those passages together, and then we're going to sing, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw your attention to, in this catechetical service, to a document that we hold dear in our church. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism, going all the way back, 1563. It stood the test in time in terms of a teaching um, document. So, <coughs> all right, Exodus chapter 20. Give me a second there just to turn there. Now, the reason why I am uh, reading from Exodus 20 and then from Matthew chapter 12 is because this is all in connection to what we're confessing in light of the fourth of the Ten Commandments. We've been going through a series on Christian ethics at Pathway Christian Church, and so what I'm doing is I'm taking what we are considering, I'm bringing it here this afternoon, as we consider something that is, I think, very interesting to us. Um, it is something also that is uh, a bone of contention among Christian churches, particularly how to observe this day. What are we supposed to be, how are we supposed to view this day and how are we supposed to observe this day? We're gonna be looking at some of those things this afternoon. So, <coughs> all right, so first of all, Exodus chapter 20, I just wanna read um, verses uh, eight through 11. Fourth commandment, 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. It is the fourth commandment relating to Shabbat, Sabbath. Now Jesus teaches on the Sabbath from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we're going to be considering those words this afternoon in light of the fourth commandment. But before we do, we're going to be singing together. Speak, O Lord.
All right, so I want to consider with you now uh, question and answer 103 uh, regarding the uh, fourth commandment and uh, the things that the Lord calls us to on this day and how we are to uh, consider this day uh, together. Now, I see it on the uh, screen uh, before me and um, one of the things I forgot to ask uh, the elders before the service is if you uh, confess these words together. Do you do that? No. Or yes? You seem unsure. So what I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to read the question because it's, it's our catechism, right? It's our confession. So let's, we're, we'll, we'll answer together, okay? So here's the question. What does God require in the fourth commandment? Let's say together. First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. That all the days of my life I rest from evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Okay. A.V., uh, could you go back to the beginning, please? All right. Um, I want to draw your uh, attention to something beyond the, uh, the, the first couple lines of the answer. I want you to notice as you look at uh, the wording of the catechism known as the Heidelberg Catechism that it refers to this day as notice there, it's, uh, if you look at the answer, it says first that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God and so forth. This day is called the day of rest. Day of rest. Now here's, here's something, and again, I, I, I don't know all your backgrounds and your level of understanding or if there are visitors here and you don't have much background with the Christian faith or with this church or this federation or what, but in case you don't know this, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism is written not first and foremost originally in the English language, but is written in the German language. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. And if you know any geography, you know that uh, Heidelberg is in Germany. And this is written and it was embraced around the year 1563. Well, it was officially adopted in 1563, but there was work done leading up to that. So this is in the German. So if you take a look at this, it talks about the Lord's Day, the Sabbath as the day of rest. And the reason why it refers to this day as the day of rest is because it's drawing upon the Hebrew word Shabbat, Sabbath, which is translated rest, literally it means cessation, ceasing from work. So the fourth commandment, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the, the fourth commandment is not just about rest, it's also about work. Did you know that? Right, listen to it, that, that it says, remember, um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here's the command, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day 
is a Sabbath, Shabbat to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. So there's a command to work, but there's also a command to rest. That's why, can you keep it up there just a moment, please? That's why when you take a look at this, it says the day of rest, drawing upon Shabbat, the Hebrew word Shabbat. In the German, this is what catechetical services are all about because they're teaching services. So in the German, those days, the day of rest, as it's translated into English, is just one word in the German, Feiertag or Feiertag, which is literally is translated holiday or holy day. And the central concept, uh, the, 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 the concept of holiness gets at being set apart. That's what holiness gets at. Being set apart to sin and set apart to God. Set apart from sin and set apart to God. All right? Fire talk. Holiday. Holy day. Now, English translators thought, oh, this holy day is a special day, and if you connect it with the fourth commandment, Shabbat meaning rest, this is why we translate it the day of rest. That's how we talk about this day, the day of rest. There are, now one other thing, there are some translations in the Dutch that translate this, and you will see this in other renditions of the Heidelberg Catechism, because they're not all the same, because not all translations translate German in the same way. You'll, you'll see a reference to not just the day of rest, but festive day of rest. And, if, and, and that's probably based upon Isaiah 68, which talks about this day as a festive day of delight. So if you, if you really focus on that word festive, as in festive day of rest, fe- the word festive connotes two things. Number one, this day is not to be a day of solemn faces or drudgery. And I know we sometimes come to worship when we have difficult things going on in the week and it's hard to put on a happy face. We get that, right? But generally, this day is not to be a day of drudgery or long faces, but this is to be a day of delight. It's a day that we are to rejoice in. But the word festive also connotes one other thing, not just delight, but also festive carries with it the idea of activity, doing something. And that's why when you take a look at the catechism, notice that on this day of rest, it's not a day of just sheer inactivity where you get to wake up in the morning and you get to come out of your bedroom, you pour yourself a cup of coffee and just kind of hang out in front of the TV or chat with your wife or your husband if you're married or whatever. You just take it easy like a lot of people. A day of rest is a rest unto a certain kind of activity. What kind of activity? Worship, like we're doing now. One theologian once said this, that worship is a verb. Action words. Now take a look at this. It talks about a day of rest where I, and here's the activity, diligently attend the church of God, hear God's word, notice the verbs here, use the sacraments, call publicly upon the Lord, and give. Give Christian offerings for the poor. That's not passivity. That's activity. So when we come to this place on this day of rest, we're never just to be passive people, but we are to engage the whole of our being in worship. That's what God calls us to do on this festive day of rest. Now, why do I take time to explain that? Because this really captures the heart of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 12. So in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is dealing with a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very strict 
And the Pharisees viewed themselves as a reform movement within Judaism. Because the Jews during the days of Jesus had largely turned their back on Judaism and Torah and the law of God and its rules and its regulations. And, and they had succumbed more and more, as we see in the church today, they had succumbed to the, the, what we call the Greek Hellenistic pagan culture around them. And so basically, they were taking their foot out of the church, so to speak, and putting it entirely into the world, and the Pharisees thought we need to do something about this. So it took it upon themselves as a reform movement within Judaism to get the Jewish people back to Torah, to the commandments of God. All right, so that's, that was their, that's what their desire was. So to get them back to the law of God, and particularly to get the Jewish people back to celebrating and observing the Sabbath day in the way that they should, because for a long time they were not. They were becoming lax. So you know what the Pharisees did? The Pharisees developed a whole host of rules and regulations. The commentators will tell us around 1,500 rules and regulations in all. Could you imagine that? 1,500 that would provide a fence around the Sabbath that would help the people in their minds to observe the Sabbath in a proper way. Well, you can imagine if you had to face 1,500 rules on this day, you'd be, you'd be thinking to yourself, how in the world am I going to keep track of all those 1,500 rules? And not only that, how am I going to be able to observe all those rules and regulations? Jesus comes along and he says, countering the Pharisees, that was never God's original intent. What you're actually doing is you're extrapolating in your minds the fourth commandment and you're providing all these rules and regulations as an extrapolation and extension of the Ten Commandments to help the people. But in fact, what you're doing is you're placing a yoke around their necks and they're no longer enjoying the Sabbath and viewing it, Isaiah 58, as a day of delight. Well, Jesus says God's design is that to have this day be a day of delight and also refreshing. Look at how he deals with uh, the Pharisees now. And I'm just going to kind of run through this very quickly. If you have your Bibles or your devices, once you go to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 12 now. Now, take a look at this. At that time, just one incident where Jesus had our, one of many run-ins with the Pharisees. At the time, Jesus went through the... The, the, my, my translation here, the English Standard Version, it says cornfields. Your translation may say um, wheat fields, perhaps, or barley fields. It's a difficult word to translate. But at any rate, Jesus went through the cornfields or wheat fields or barley fields on the Sabbath. That's Saturday. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of corn or heads of wheat or barley and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are not doing what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. So here's what the Pharisees were thinking. They see the disciples of Jesus picking heads of grain or plucking corn or what have you because they were hungry and eating that. And the Pharisees interpreted that, this is how strict they were, as a form of harvesting. And you're not supposed to harvest as a farmer on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are calling out the disciples of Jesus. And they're saying they're not doing what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. If you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament doesn't really say much about Sabbath observance, only that we are to observe it, but it doesn't get into too many details. But what the Pharisees did is they developed these 1,500 rules called the oral traditions of the elders that they brought to bear on these people. So what they were really doing is that they're moving outside of the word of God and putting a yoke on the people. 
That's what's behind this. Jesus said to them, encountering them now, about the disciples being unlawful and supposedly working on the Sabbath. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? And you're kind of maybe looking at this kind of like, what is that all about? Uh, maybe I remember what happened there. Maybe I don't. What, what was going on is that Jesus is referring to the time of King Saul. When David was running away from King Saul, and he was running for his very life, and David was hungry. And what David did is he went into the place of worship where there was what we call the bread of presence or the, the table of show bread. That bread was only to be eaten by the priests. But ba- David went in there, Ahimelech, the priest, saw that his hunger, and it was Ahimelech who actually gave David the bread to eat. Now, it was only reserved for the priests. That's the rule. But there was an exceptional case here. And David needed the food. And Ahimelech gave him the food that David could eat it. David was not guilty. Neither the disciples guilty. That's Jesus' point. It was a matter of necessity. And sometimes necessity overtakes the rules and the regulations. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Jesus is saying, you say that my disciples are violating rules and regulations of the Sabbath by, what, harvesting? But the fact of the matter is the priests work on the Sabbath and nobody says they're guilty of working. What am I doing now? Okay, I'm preaching, but I'm working. You know, this is my my busiest day. So the Bible says that the Lord's day is to be a day of rest, but I'm not violating, you see, the command of God by doing what I'm doing. This is what I'm called to do. So you see that there are exceptions and there are necessities. Jesus, I tell you something greater than the temple is here, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now I'm gonna look at verse eight and explain it very quickly in just a moment. But here's the thing, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 12 and other places that there are three works that are allowed on this day of rest. Works of necessity, mercy, and piety. Piety is what I do in terms of worship. But listen, we have doctors, we have nurses, we have police officers, we have military people, right? Officers and enlisted, they all gotta work on Sunday. They may not like it, but these these are works of necessity. And Jesus says, You you cannot apply rules and regulations just like that without contextualizing those rules and regulations. There are exceptions, and Jesus mentions them. Again, necessity, mercy, and piety. But you see, the Pharisees, man, they were all about rules. They're all about regulations. They're all about compliance. And your disciples are not complying. Jesus comes along and he says this. The final thing he says here, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know what he's basically saying here? To put it really bluntly, the Sabbath ends with me. I'm the boss of the Sabbath. I give the Sabbath its proper meaning. I give the Sabbath its proper application. And it is my design in my ministry to to take the Sabbath and your understanding of the Sabbath and bring it back to its original design. And what was the original design? God gave us this day, my friends. God gave this day as a day of rest and worship 
but also, listen to this, physical and spiritual refreshing. Refreshing. Have you thought about that? That Sundays are to be a day just where we're refreshed. We're given life just where our batteries are just kind of recharged. Um, AV, one thing, can, can you go back to the Heidelberg Catechism, please? Okay, and then go to the next slide, please. Now look at this. Talk about a day of refreshing. We're to observe this day and it is when we, when we rest on this day unto worship and rest from the other six days of labor that we do, we're really understanding that is a reflection that all the days of my life I'm the rest for my evil works and let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit. See, refreshing there. And so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath rest. So I tell you why God gives us this day. He gives us this day so that through our community and our interactions and loving on one another and in our worship, we might experience in this day in ways that we don't during the busyness of the other six days of, of the week. We get to experience just kind of a, a rest from sin that we so easily fall into during the six days of the week because we're so distracted and so busy and we become vulnerable to certain sins that we maybe wouldn't on Sunday. So that on this day we might experience a, a a rest from sin and evil, and then at the same time as we interact with each other and as we worship together, we are refreshed by the Spirit of God so that, so that as we put sin away from us on this day and as we're refreshed by the Spirit, we get to experience, and here's a huge thing, we get to experience a bit of a taste of what the Bible calls the eternal Sabbath rest. You know what that's referring to? It's for in heaven. The eternal Sabbath rest, a time when, when we get to heaven, we will not have to struggle against sin and the effects of sin anymore, namely mourning and crying and death and pain. All these things the Bible says will be done away with and we will rest in perfection for eternity, always just gazing upon the beautiful face of Jesus. <laughs> so what God is saying is on this day, when you view it as a day of rest and worship and delight, here's what God is saying. This is a beautiful thing. God is saying that eternal Sabbath rest that awaits you, I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna bring it down to earth and I'm gonna give you a little taste of it right now on this day. You think how kind God is. How beautiful is that, that God would do that. He says, you don't have to wait. I'm gonna give you a taste right now. So really, this day, think of, it, think of this day like this. Think of this day as an oasis. Kids, you know what an oasis is? It's like a, a, it's a, it's a pool of water in a hot desert where you get to, in the midst of the dust and the sand of the desert and the heat, you just get to bend down and you get a drink of that water of that oasis. That's what God gives us on this day. Oh, the question is though, are, we accustomed, are you accustomed to viewing this day as a day of delight and day of refreshing as an oasis in the desert of life? And are you accustomed every Sunday every Sunday, to bend down and drink the waters of that oasis. You won't do that unless 
you push the pause button on your life and carve out a Sabbath. One man named um, Dallas Willard said this. He said, the Sabbath offers us the very necessary time to simply do nothing except mainly worship. It reminds us that we don't have to do in order to be. It allows us to break the power of busyness and distraction and in the end helps us not only to find ourselves but opens the way for God to find us in new ways. The Sabbath allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of our lives and the wind of eternity to blow in our faces. Not for nothing does the psalmist say, be still and know that I am God. This day allows us to put the noise of the other six days a week to the side and allows God to to take our face in his hands and say, look at me. Like you do when you're, when you, when, you know, if you're married and you've had kids, remember when, when, the, when you have a newborn and you just hold them, remember how small they were? And they're like, and you cup them up like that. You cup their head in your hands, in your hands like this, and you talk to them like this. This is what God does with us on the, sun, on, on the Sabbath, on this day. This is beautiful, isn't it? Look at me, look at me. It kind of reminds us of, of Mary and Martha. Remember that story where Mary and Martha are gonna host Jesus for hospitality and Martha's all busy in the kitchen getting things ready and Mary, what is she doing? She's not helping out. She, what she's doing is Jesus comes over and Martha discovers that Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you remember what Martha says to Jesus? She says, Lord, tell her to help me. And Jesus says, oh, Martha, you're so busy and you're so worried and anxious about so many things. But Mary has chosen the better thing. What's that? Just sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking time, resting in him, absorbing him, listening to him, learning from him. So you know what? We're like Martha in the kitchen six days a week. We're doing this and that and this and that, fulfilling all the, you make to-do lists, right? Got to do this, got to do that, you know? That's Martha. But on this day, we get to be Mary. On this day, we get to carve out a Sabbath, a day of rest and worship, and we just get to take time to delight in the Lord, see his beauty, listen to him, and just, 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 just sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, we should do this every day of the week, right? But, but Sundays are a special time where we get to do that. Yeah. So... Yeah, how do you spend your Sundays? And, and, and uh, do, you, do, you commit to, do you commit to this place? I mean, you're here this afternoon. I know what people always say, you should be preaching this in the morning, right? Those are the, and the people aren't here then in the afternoon. They should be the ones who hear it. Listen, all of us, we, we, we all need to be a commitment here. And, and kids, listen. When, when, you're, when you're a child, come on, those of us who are adults, you remember when you were a child? You, we honestly, you know, Sundays were not a day of delight, honestly. But, but kids, I tell you what, when, when you get to be older and you got to work a job and you're putting in 40, 50, 60 hours a week, let me tell you something, you're going to get tired. And then this day becomes a day that is so beautiful and delightful. And if you don't see that now, maybe one day, hopefully, you will as you stay close to Jesus, okay? 
And then this, this one other thing before I wanna, I wanna draw to a close. You know, oftentimes um, we think of this day as kind of our day. This is our day of rest. This is our day of worship. This is our day of delight because it's for the covenant people of God. This day, especially if you're gonna be a mission church and you're gonna have an outward face, this day is also a day for the world. Why do I say that? Because God has given us this day to display Jesus to the world in ways that we don't normally do other days of the week. Think about that. I don't know where you live. Maybe you live on a farm somewhere, but most of us probably live somewhere near here and we we live in town, so to speak. Um, You ever notice, maybe you have a neighbor who notices. Sometimes you don't notice that neighbor. The neighbor sees you get in the car. People see you drive to this place to worship. People see you get out of your car and come into this place of worship. They know what this place is. They know it's a church. They drive down the road here. They see you on a nice day. They get to see you outside and hanging out. I mean, I, was, I, was, uh, uh, I had to go out to my car, just rest a little bit between the services. Kids are playing on the snow. That's fine, you know. This is to be a day of delight and, and, and joy, a little fun for the kids. That's fine. People drive by and they see that. They see the kids delighting here. They see, they see us coming in here and they see us outside interacting with each other because we're a community of faith. But may it be that they see us not only just chatting outside our worship, but by means of invitation, they may come into here and experience that worship with us. Are they gonna understand everything? No. Do we need to try to make worship what we do intelligible as much as we can and understood without compromise? Sure. But still, even then, people are not gonna understand everything, but you notice what they're gonna notice? You know what they're gonna notice? They're gonna notice the joy in your faces in worship, they're gonna notice, the notice the children here that sit with their parents. Not always perfectly, but a lot of times kids are sitting nicely with the parents, you know. Um, they, get to, they get to hear the preaching of the word. They'll get some of that. They get to hear the songs that we sing and hopefully songs that we sing with gusto, like we mean it. They get to experience all of these things. I wanna leave you this without going on and on about this. Never underestimate the power of Shabbat and the rest and the worship and the delight of God's people on a lost soul. Never underestimate the power of what we do in worship. There's a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, there are things that go on in the worship service that simply don't go on in the same way elsewhere, whether it be a small group, whether it be a Bible study or what have you. There are things that the Spirit does in worship that the lost soul just sometimes they come under the grip of that and they can't get away. Sundays are one of the most powerful and effective evangelistic tools that we have. It's not the only one, but it's one of the most powerful ones. So let's view this day not first and foremost as a day of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. But view this day as a day of delight. A day where we get to sit at the feet of Jesus. A day when we get to interact with one another. A day when we get to hear the preaching of the word. A day when hopefully we get to be refreshed by the spirit through the worship and the preaching and the so forth and our interactions with each other. And a day when we may offer God heartfelt worship and a day of evangelistic opportunity. This is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said in the Gospel of Mark, listen to these words, it's very simple. Jesus says, 
Man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Do you know what he means by that? It means that, he means very simply that, that God did not create the Sabbath just so that man can keep it. But God created the Sabbath for man, that is, for his rest, because we need it, for our delight, for our enjoyment, and as a foretaste of the eternal Sabbath rest to come. Man, when you think about Sunday in that way, the Sabbath day in principle, what a, what a gracious thing it is for God to give us this day. And why shouldn't we delight in it? So may we do that, may we delight in this day, and may we as parents um, encourage that, our, our children to, to see that, and, and may this day be a day not only where, where the converted can worship God and sing his praises and give him praise, but may this day be a day, maybe even for some of us this afternoon, where we're struck in our souls, and we go, these Christians around me, they get to rest in this day. I've never known that rest. In fact, I'm kind of restless in my soul. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, if that's the case, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and restlessness and restless, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will give you rest. Hmm. That's a beautiful thing. Let's uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this afternoon, Lord, we we thank you for this fire uh, tach, this, this, uh, this holiday, this holy day, this, this day of rest, this, this festive day of rest. Such a gift from your hand, Lord, and we pray that we may enjoy it, but also observe it in a way that you intended. And as we do, O oh Lord, refresh our spirits and give us increasing foretaste even now, indeed, whet our appetites even more through this day for the eternal Sabbath rest to come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, sing a response. And, you know, the song that we're going to sing is uh, Guide Me, O My Great um, Redeemer. And, and when you sing that song, pay attention to the lyrics because it, it, it lets us in on this truth that you and I, in this wilderness of life, and the distractions of life are on the way to the, to the promised land. And we're asking the Lord to guide us on to that promised land. And that's one of the reasons why he gives us this day, to refresh us, to keep going to the promised land. So guide me, oh, my great Redeemer. Let's uh, stand to sing.
remain standing, we are going to, as I understand it, you sing the Apostles' Creed as hymn one. So let's uh, sing that song now. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah. come to the Lord uh, this afternoon. There are a few people I want to pray for that I've been asked to pray for. Uh, Greta Veldkamp and Jenny Biker and Garrett Vanderhorst. Um, I want to uh, pray just for, just because of the uh, immediacy of the situation that we're facing um, at Pathway, at least in, in terms of a couple people. One is um, a young woman named Fatima. She comes from Afghan background and um, some time ago we had a uh, my, my wife and I met a, an Afghani family in a park nearby us, and make a long story short, they started coming to church. They're not Muslim, they're actually Christians, and they recently came here. And um, the, the part of the family was in Iran, and there was a, there was a mother and a, a daughter, and uh, the daughter one day was abducted. Islamists abducted her, and um, they didn't know where they took her. And so we prayed for her as a church, this was about a year ago. We prayed a number of weeks for her, and then we just kind of, we didn't hear anything, and we just kind of stopped praying for her. And um, we just discovered this past week that she was found, uh, she was in a, in a prison in Afghanistan. They transported her from Iran to Afghanistan, uh, to prison in Afghanistan. A ransom was paid, she's out, and she was on her way to Pakistan. We prayed for her, and uh, she actually got to Pakistan. I don't know how they got her in there, but she's there, and we hope that they will bring her to Canada. But I have... I'm telling you, my friends, I have, I have seen pictures um, that were shared with me of her legs and her back, and it was gruesome. So we've got to remember to pray for the persecuted Christians, but we've got to, I'm going to pray for Fatima and a young man that I've been working with who have recently um, come to faith in Christ. It was such a beautiful thing, so I'm not going to give all details of that, but let's, let's now let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, this morning um, we saw that uh, at any time we may come to your throne of grace, because your golden scepter is always extended to us in Christ Jesus. 
So Father, with confidence and with boldness now, we we come to you in this prayer this afternoon. Lord, I just wanna say first of all, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day of rest, a day of many, uh, a day when we we don't have to face so many of the distractions that we do the six days of the the week. And thank you that we just may sit at the feet of Jesus and enjoy him and listen to him and be absorbed in him. And Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you have done on the cross. This is our hope. Thank you for freeing us from the guilt and the power and the penalty of sin and bringing us to our Heavenly Father. We give you all the praise. Lord, we also want to take time as Christians now to to pray for people in need. We think of Greta Veldkamp, who has undergone cancer surgery, but currently is experiencing a bit of a a setback. Um, Lord, we're not aware of all the details of the setback, only that she's still in the process of recuperating. So God, be gracious to her, we pray, and grant that to her. Sustain her, Lord, increase her health, increase her energy. Give her a, a spirit of just keep pressing on, O oh Lord. Father, we pray for Jenny Biker too, regarding a broken pelvis, and then also Garrett Vanderhorst, who is dealing even uh, as we pray now with cancer within his body, a serious cancer, liver cancer. And Lord, these are, these are in, in some cases, these are life and death situations that people face. And at the very least, oh Lord, they, are, they, are, they cause great discomfort. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not only, as the Bible says, a friend of sinners, but you are the great physician. And yet you are the one who brings healing, as we say in so many accounts of the New Testament, all throughout your healing ministry. So Lord, we pray, grant your healing ministry to these individuals. So God, we pray for good news in the weeks to come. Father, I also want to lift up to you, Fatima. Um, Lord, we here do, do, not, do not really know her, and Lord, I only know so much about her, but you know her intimately, and you know that she's a new Christian. She is converted out of Islam, and Lord, she has paid the price for that. The scars are on her back and her legs and her arms, and it's just horrible. Father, we pray, thanking you that she's gotten to Pakistan, and Lord, we pray that you be so kind as to move her out of that very Islamic country, and that, Lord, you would eventually bring her to Canada to be reunited with her family. Lord, you can do all things. You did that with Peter, Lord, when he was in prison, and, and the church gathered together and prayed for him, and he was let out of prison. He escaped from prison and was able to rejoin the church of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that for Fatima. So Lord, time, continue to minister to her. And, and Lord, um, we pray also through the contacts that we have made with the Reformed Church of Pakistan that they would somehow get to her and be a blessing to her and get her out of Pakistan eventually. So Father, we are lifting her before you. And Lord, I wanna pray for a young man named Jack who's recently come to faith. Thank you for that, Lord. We have invested so much. And Lord, we, we know that we, you, the, we here in, in Sardis too, Lord, we wanna see things like that. So Father, um, bless us with converts. Bless us, O oh Lord, with not just the baptism, covenant baptisms of our children, but Lord, help us to see and be encouraged through adult baptisms. Oh God, help us to see people come to faith. And Lord, as the Apostle Paul's prayed, so too we pray, Lord, open doors for the gospel that it may invade people's lives and use this place of worship, O oh Lord, in our invitations to make that a reality. 
So Lord, we depend upon you for these very things. Lord, thank you that we can bring this to you and, and that we can finally um, pray for this as we have in the past. Lord, we wanna pray for our, our offering, Christ for all ministries, Lord. We pray that you would bless this ministry as it seeks to bring the gospel to all nations and especially to people who are either under the threat or the reality of persecution, which we here really know hardly anything about experientially, Lord. So, Father, use our offerings to that end and help us, O oh God, to remember these poor Christians around the world who are suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. Put your protective hedge around them, O oh Lord, and use our prayers, O oh God, to be a blessing to them, and in particular now, the offering that we are gonna to bring to that end. So Lord, this is what we bring before you this afternoon. And once again, we pray this in the name of our precious Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So in light of that prayer, let's now give of our offering. So we come to the end of our worship on this festive day of rest. So now receive the blessing of your Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you his shalom, his peace. Amen.